our slide there. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Psalm 149, verse 6. This is going to be the theme verse of a new series that I'm going to be starting today. Uh, dealing with... Uh, The weapons of God, the praises of God as a weapon. So you may have never thought about uh, the praises of God being a weapon that you can wield against the enemy, but we're going to see exactly how that is the case. We're going to see how it is the case and why it is the case. Okay, our opening scriptures here. Again, Psalm 149, verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Also Psalm 22, verses 3 through 5. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. You know that particular scripture there, Psalm 22? That is the crucifixion psalm. That was written down by David a thousand years before the Lord was actually crucified. And if you read through the entire psalm, you find out that it's kind of a pic word picture of what it means to be crucified talks about them uh, piercing my hands and my feet later on in the psalm. And the psalm starts out with, uh, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And that was exactly what Jesus uh, said when he hung there on the cross because God the Father had abandoned him. But then he takes his eyes off of himself and says, you are holy enthroned in the praises of God. Okay, so even Jesus, while he was hanging on there on the cross, his eyes turned to his Father and talked about the Father being enthroned by the praises of Israel. Also Psalm 99, verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God, worship in his holy hill, for... The Lord our God is holy. And finally, you have 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, as we come before you. Lord, I pray that you'd visit us in power. Lord, this is such a necessary subject, something that I think all of us need more of in our lives, and that is using the high praises of God. And Lord, I pray that as we begin this new year, Lord, I pray that we, we would make a special effort to praise you more, Lord, uh, because you are worthy 
You perished there on the cross for our sins. Lord, you showed us your mercy through it. And also, Lord, because you are holy, you are worthy of our praises. And Lord God, this nation is under attack. And I know that all of our lives, we are under attack too. But Lord, when we worship you and we praise your holy name, we lift you up, Lord. We set the forces of darkness into confusion. So, Lord, as I bring forth this message, I pray a special anointing upon it. And also succeeding weeks, as Lord, I delve more into this uh, subject of using praise as a weapon to defeat the enemy in our lives. Thank you for being with us, Lord, and anointing these lips of clay. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm returning to our series on the weapons of God. It was part of our larger series on spiritual warfare, or winning the spiritual battle, as I entitled it, and specifically dealing with the weapons of God. It says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, as we mentioned before, the weapons include the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, you know, the, he describes the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12 says the Word of God is quick and powerful, living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We saw that Jesus wielded it at his temptations in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. There's also prayer in the Spirit, says praying with all manner of prayer in the spirit Ephesians 6 verse 18 fasting we saw that fasting was a weapon too Jesus said when you fast he didn't say if you fast he said when you fast so all of us should be practicing fasting in one form or another if your health does not permit you to uh, fast physical food there's things that you can do uh, that uh, uh, abstain from things that you like to do and uh, devote yourself to prayer in its place. There's also the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 talks about because Jesus because of his humility uh, coming here to earth, humbling himself, leaving his home there in heaven, coming here to earth, taking on human form, and then going to the cross suffering the ultimate humiliation of death upon a cross. It says that God highly, uh, highly exalted, God the Father highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow on heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus gave us that name to be used as his authority to advance his kingdom here on earth. We also saw the blood of the Lamb in the word of our testimony, Revelation 12, 11, 
We used that to defeat the enemy too. And we saw that by living a crucified life. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. That was in Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 27. And now we come to the high praises of God. And that's what the new series is all about. Praises of God as a weapon. How many of you ever really thought of it that way? But the praises of God are a weapon as real as the Word of God. Both are described as a two-edged sword. I don't know how I got that far ahead of it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the praises of God are a, a weapon as real as the Word of God is because both are described as a two-edged sword. We just looked at Hebrews chapter uh, 4, verse 12. It says that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we know that the Word of God is a weapon because Jesus wielded in overcoming the devil's temptations. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and also Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Now the praises are also described as a two-edged sword. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. So in both cases, the word of God and the praises, uh, they are described by the same object, uh, the two-edged sword. So how can uh, praise be used as a weapon? Well, one way that praise can be used as a weapon is that it helps us to overcome our rejection and fear. Rejection and fear can lead to what? When you feel rejected and uh, fearful, it can lead to depression, right? You feel like your life is pointless, that you're like you're going nowhere in your life, and that you're losing, and uh, you've got no hope. You lose hope because you feel like there's no hope of turning things around. And that can lead you to even to the brink of suicide. And many times the devil tries to push us to the edge and regrettably is successful in many occasions. You know, I knew a uh, young man, his name was uh, Ryan Higgins. He was the son of a, uh, one of my best friends back there in the San Diego area. I used to coach Ryan, you know, in Little League. And Ryan reached a point, I think he was about 20 years old or so. Uh, he had a falling out with his girlfriend. Uh, his uh, you know, job didn't work out and he was just depressed. And so he drove the, his car to the top of uh, the Coronado Bay Bridge, you know, which is about 100 feet above uh, San Diego Bay. And he stopped his car and just jumped, got out and jumped to his death took them three days to fish his body out, you know. And it's been a source of heartbreak for his uh, uh, <clears throat> father, who again was one of my best friends. And uh, every day when Ryan's death rolls around, you know, he posts on Facebook, you know, about how much he misses him and how, much, how heartbroken he is that he will never see Ryan 
growing to be a big uh, a man and uh, really accomplish things in life. You know, when that things like that, and probably all of us have experiences like we've probably all known people that have committed suicide. And it's my contention, it's the devil that just drives them to the point of that. But if they could really learn, could have learned to use the high praises of God and dispel away that uh, uh, depression, maybe that never would have happened. It happens when your fear of uh, uh, being, uh, never being a success in life overcomes your fear of what may lie beyond the grave You know, if you commit that uh, cowardly act. Now, the rest of the day, I'm going to be talking about an example of praise being used as a weapon. And it's, we're going to spend the rest of the day in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. Now, I, I've spoken on this scripture before in the past, but I think it's been a, a couple of three years, so it doesn't hurt to go through it. How many of you read Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20 before? If you've never read it, you really ought to. Or at least make a note of that scripture in your mind. And when you start going through trials, specifically if you encounter a situation in your life that just seems impossible, go back and read through this particular chapter. And believe me, it will give you uh, strength. It will inspire you. And especially it will inspire you to praise God. Okay, it's a longer chapter. There's a total of 30 verses on there. So this is going to take the reminder of the message. And it's a perfect scripture for using uh, uh, to illustrate how praise can be used as a weapon. And I'm going to be interjecting my own comments. We're not just going to read it straight on through. I'm going to interject my comments on it as we go along. Incidentally, uh, the Wednesday night uh, Bible studies that we have here, we handle much the same way as we will read through scriptures. In this case, we're going through Second Kings. And then uh, I always try to pause and offer some thoughts in there. You know, it doesn't do us much good to just read the Word of God if we don't think down and, and meditate on it and how to apply it to our lives. Amen? Okay, so let's go on ahead into the uh, chapter right here. Second uh, Chronicles, starting at verse 1. And it happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, and others with them, besides the Ammonites, now this is referring to the Edomites, you know that because later on it says that they are the people of Mount uh, Sire, and, uh, which is the Edomites, came to battle. So there's three nations coming to battle against Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah at the time. And some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are at Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared got three nations against him, says he was afraid, and set his heart, set himself 
to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So all Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. So all of the people throughout the land of Judah came there to Jerusalem. Okay, now, first of all, you need to know a little bit about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings of uh, the nation of Judah. You know, when Israel split into uh, two different uh, uh, nations, you had Samaria in the north and Judah in the south. And the ten tribes that formed uh, Samaria... All of their kings were bad kings. There wasn't a single one that was a good king. In contrast, Judah in the south continued to follow the kings of the Davidic line, as they were instructed to by God. And they had some good kings. They had some very bad kings too, but they had some really good kings too. Well, Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings. So, uh, you know... What about your life? You know, you may think of yourself as being a very good person. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to face trials. You go around thinking, well, I'm a good person. You know, God's never going to allow me to undergo anything really uh, uh, traumatic in my life. Well, you've got another guest coming. No matter how good you are, good thing, bad things can happen to good people. Just look at Job. Okay, even, you know, even Jesus suffered attacks from the, the devil, didn't he? He was tempted in the wilderness. And throughout his ministry, he was continually attacked. Satan attacked him through the scribes and the Pharisees. And then finally, of course, at his crucifixion, he was betrayed. And says by his own, you know, good friend, Judas, one of his... Twelve disciples, it says that Satan entered into Judas. So no matter how good you are, you're still going to suffer attacks from the devil. Anybody out there that's never been attacked by the devil? Anybody? I know I get attacked by him all the time. So don't think that you're immune from attacks by the enemy if, uh, just because you're a good uh, person. But now, Jehoshaphat, look at how he reacted to it. First of all, it says in verse uh, 3 there, he was afraid, so he set himself to seek the Lord. If you're undergoing attack by the enemy, that's what you need to do, is you turn to the Lord. Because the Lord is the one who will give you deliverance. And he also used another weapon that I've talked about before. He called a proclaim, he proclaimed a fast throughout uh, Judah. So, what about you? When you face these impossible situations in life, what do you do? Do you turn to the Lord, or do you mope? No, oh, poor me. I'm, I'm a good person. Why am I getting attacked like this? Or, you know. Do you worry? That's a normal reaction. People sit down and worry. You know, worry is a sin, though. 
Isn't it, brothers and sisters? You know that? The Apostle Paul commanded us not to uh, worry. He said, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, praising the Lord, make your requests be made known to God. So you give them to God and you let God worry about it. You don't worry. Amen? That's the way we should be acting. Okay, verses of 5 through 7 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the, this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? So what is the first thing that uh, uh, Jehoshaphat does? He reminds God that he is the ruler of heaven and earth. You think that God forgot that? I don't think he forgot that. You know, this is kind of similar to the Apostles' Prayer in Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Now, the Apostles in Acts chapter 4, in the aftermath of healing the man that was born lame, he got up and walked. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he stood up. And walking and leaping. And what did we do? Walking and leaping and praising God. There you got praise again. Amen? So Peter and John were hauled before the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jewish religious authorities. And they were commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. So what did they do? They went back to their company. They went back to the church. And they prayed to God. And the first thing they said is there in verse 24. He said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. What were they doing? Again, did God need to be reminded? Of course he didn't. He, he already knew that. But the key is, did the apostles know it and believe it? And so they were praying that way, and their lips, their ears heard their lips speaking this. And that's how they gained faith. They're saying, God, you're bigger than all of these forces arrayed against you. They were facing an impossible situation. And I'm going to talk about more about that uh, occasion of the Apostles' Prayer in a later message. So do you ever remind yourself that God is Lord of heaven and earth? It will help you to remember one thing. 
And that is God has everything under control. Everybody say that with me. God has everything under control. God has everything under control. He's in control of everything that happens to you. And I want you to never forget that. I have to remind myself all the time of it. Okay, verses 8 through 12. And they, that is the children of Israel, the nation of Judah, <clears throat> Jehoshaphat prayed, They that dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary for it, for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade. He's saying that these people, when we entered the land, you, because of your commitments to the ancestors. Ammon was a uh, uh, son of, Mo, uh, of uh, Lot, Abraham's uh, nephew. And the same thing was true of uh, uh, Moab. And Mount Seir were the descendants of Esau, who was the brother of Isaac. So God would not let them take the land from these people because of his commitments to the uh, progenitors of these th three nations. You wouldn't let them do that. Okay? You would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are rewarding us. You know, this is the way they reward us for not invading them. They're coming to try to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So God, uh, Jehoshaphat here reminds God of his promises to the nation Israel. Now, do you remind God of his promises to you? You have to know them first. That's why you've got to study the word. How many study the word of God to find out what God has promised you? Amen? That's what we need to do. We need to study the, the word of God so we know that what he has promised us. You suffer financial deprivation. You say, God, your word says, my God shall supply all their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's God's promise to us. He's going to supply all of our needs. Amen? So, you suffer something like that, you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from, just remind God. You know, I had a testimony of uh, when I was, during my first lengthy missionary trip to uh, uh, Thailand, I knew a uh, uh, missionary there, his name was Tony Wilson, he was from uh, uh, the United Kingdom, he was a member of the uh, Pentecostal uh, 
Assemblies of Canada, kind of our sister organization while we were there. They didn't have any Pentecostal uh, organizations in the United Kingdom. But Tony told me how uh, before he became a missionary through the uh, uh, that particular mission organization, he was pastor of a small church. And he said there were times when they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. So he w- had nothing else to do but go to the Lord in prayer. And he said the Lord came through every time. My God shall supply all your needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Final note is that Jehoshaphat admits his helplessness. You know, one nation against three. He admits his helplessness and he looks to God. It says right there, he says, we don't know what to do. That last line there in verse four, or verse 12. We don't know what to do, but... Our eyes are upon you. His back was up against the wall, and that's why he looked to the Lord. Verse 14 of Second Chronicles 20. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. Now, th- this is interesting of the sons of Asaph. You know, the sons of Asaph were worship leaders in the temple. And there, if you read through the book of Psalms, you'll find a number of the Psalms. I know David probably wrote the majority of them, but a lot of them were written by these people, the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, All you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but but God's. So after Jehoshaphat has reminded reminded uh, God that he is Lord of heaven and earth and that he has promised the children of Israel the land that they were in and admitted their utter hopelessness, helplessness of standing against the three nations against them, God speaks to them through a, the prophet and tells them what to do. So this man, Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, of the sons of Asaph, the, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he prophesies to the people. Remember what we said about prophesies? Too often we think of prophecy being what? Foretelling. And sometimes that's part of it. But by and large, it's speaking forth. That's what prophet means, to speak forth. He was foretelling to Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel. He says, we're going, you guys are going to win, but the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Amen? Hallelujah. The battle is not yours, but God's. If you're in an impossible situation, the battle is not yours, but God's. 
So you just need to stand back and let God take care of things. Okay, verse seven, 16. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jer uh, uh, Jeruel. You do not need to fight in this battle. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord is on your side, Jerusalem and Judah. He's on your side. He's going to win this battle for you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them before the Lord is with you. Now once again, this language is similar to another place in Scripture. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will see, see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Okay? Now, where is that found? What's that the story of? Well, you see Moses' name in there. That should be a tip-off of what it's talking about. It was a time when the children of Israel also faced an impossible situation. On one side was the Red Sea. The other side was the entire Egyptian army coming to take them back to Egypt, which represents the world and the bondage of the world. And the children of Israel, all, all afraid, they, they cry out to Moses, Moses, save us, do something. And then Moses gives them that word. Do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That same wording is right there in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Okay? So, what happened with the children of Israel in the Red Sea? Did you see the Ten Commandments? Graphic portrayal of the parting of the Red Sea, allowing the children of Israel to walk through and then later, up, later on swallow up their enemies. They were in an impossible situation, right? Same as Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah. An impossible situation. But God tells them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Worshiping, praising God, thanking God for his impending deliverance. Then the Levites of the children of uh, the uh, Kohathites uh, and the uh, children of the Korites. You know, these, these uh, uh, families right here also are worship leaders in the temple. Okay, 
They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Again, you've got the worship leaders in the temple leading the entire nation in worship to the Lord. So Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah's actions at this point all underline uh, their actions that would take place the very next day. What do they do? They, in unison, all bow down in submission to the Lord God of heaven. They worship him and they rise up to praise him with their voices lifted high and loud. And they're going to carry this on to the next day. When you praise the Lord, do you lift up your voice high and loud? You should. It's not that God is hard of hearing. But when you praise the Lord high and loud, you're submitting to Him. You're admitting that He is there on the throne. And the Lord God is enthroned on our lives through our praises and worship. Verse 20. So they rose up early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. Trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise. Now this, get this, praise the beauty of holiness. So they went out before the army and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. You see that? They praise God for his holiness and they praise God for his mercy, for his deliverance. You know, the opening songs that we played at the beginning of the service, a lot of you came in late and so you missed this. That's why I encourage you, brothers and sisters, always come in at 10 o'clock sharp because you miss one of the most important parts of the service if you do, where we lift up our voices and praise God. And those first three songs in there were praising God for His mercy. How has how God's mercy manifested to us today? It's manifested to us in the cross. And the price that Jesus paid for us to redeem us to God. Amen? Okay? That's what we need to be doing. We need to be praising God every day for His mercy. The price that He paid on the cross. Not just on Communion Sunday. We need to be praising God for that every day. Praising Him for His mercy. So they praise God for His uh, mercy and His holiness. Okay, verses 24 through I'm sorry, 22 through 24. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the, the uh, praise, the Lord set an ambush against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. So in other words, the three armies 
There's two against one now. They started fighting each other before Judah ever got there. Two nations, the Ammonites and the Moabites, stood up against the Edomites to utterly slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Sair, the Edomites, everyone helped to destroy one another. After they wiped out the Edomites, then they started fighting each other. And when Judah came towards the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked at the, uh, upon, unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none of them escaped. So those three nations started fighting each other, and none of them escaped. Not a single... You know, it, it's significant, brothers and sisters, how many uh, soldiers of Judah had to fight in that battle? How many? None of them. Because everybody was wiped out by the time they got there. Now, reading between the lines, I believe that what happened was... When people of the, the, uh, the nation of Judah stood up and began to praise the Lord, it confused the evil spirits that were behind these three armies that attacked. This is not just the, you know, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen? It's not carnal enemies we got to worry about. It's the spiritual forces that we need to worry about. And God gives us the victory over them when we seek Him. Now, it was Satan and demonic spirits that had energized these three nations to fight against Israel, to take the land from them. But when they began to praise the Lord, they were thrown, the spiritual forces were thrown into confusion. They had to turn away. You know, they couldn't listen to the praises of Lord, the Lord being spoken. And then they looked at, uh, you know, those two nations looked at the Edomites and they said, we're better than you, we're stronger than you. And as they started fighting, and then it, in turn it happened with the other two nations. You know, the, the, the nature of the enemy is all pride. You know, we talk about uh, the uh, uh, terrorists, you know, these Muslim terrorists. You know what? The, the, the Muslims are always fighting each other. Right after we invaded Iraq and took over the land, you know, the, you know they were trying to figure out who was going to rule. And I remember there was a story about this one uh, imam, you know, and uh, he gathered all these people together in the mosque. And, you know, uh, apparently they were shouting him down. So he pulled out his pistol and started firing it to, in the air. And you know what? They set upon him and they killed him. It's all this stubborn pride. And, you know, these terrorist organizations, they're always trying to do one up on the other. You know, I'm better than you. 
And this is because the forces of darkness are behind that. You know, uh, uh, the thing is, they're just manifesting, these forces of darkness are just manifesting their leader, who is Satan himself. And you read the story of his downfall in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and uh, 14. For thou, that is Satan, Lucifer, the son of the morning, Satan himself, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne against the star above the stars of God. Stars of God are the other angels. I will sit upon, also sit upon the, uh, the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. The five I wills of Lucifer who became Satan, and that's why he fell. And these demonic spirits that chose to follow him, uh, the same thing is true of them. They're lifted up with pride. Lucifer's biggest sin was the sin of pride. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, to guard your heart against that. Now stop saying, I will all the time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, you better make sure that the Lord's in it because he's going to bring you down. You're doomed to failure unless God's, God is in it. Okay, so it's my belief that praising the Lord confused these enemy spirits, these wicked spirits that were operating behind the three nations. And they got confused and they started being lifted up in their pride and they started fighting each other. And by the time... The soldiers of Judah got there. They had wiped everyone out. No one was alive. And so the uh, uh, soldiers of Judah didn't have to fight any of them. Okay, verse 25 here. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil... It says that there was all, all this, uh, uh, verse 24 there, you know, uh, that there was a lot of uh, uh, spoil there. They came to take away the, their spoil. They found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of uh, Berakah. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place is called the valley of Berakah uh, to, unto this day. So the question is, if the armies of Judah didn't have to fight, why did God tell them to go out there? Well, the answer is they went out there to gather up the spoil. They didn't go out to fight, but to gather up the spoils of war. And I see this as uh, what happens when we fight this battle. You know, we're praying so much right now for revival. Amen? And if we get that revival, you know what the spoils of that war will be? The spoils of that war will be the lives changed for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the souls that will be won because of that. 
But we first have got to fight that battle for revival on our knees and praise and worship the Lord for the way that He's going to come through. Okay, I'm almost finished here. The epilogue. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and hearts, harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. So they're praising and worshiping God the whole way using musical instruments. You know, some groups say that we shouldn't be using musical instruments in the church. Well, they used them back in the Old Testament, and I don't see any command that tells us not to use musical instruments. So just the fact that you don't read about musical instruments specifically mentioned in New Testament worship doesn't mean that they didn't use them. Unless God tells us not to use them, you know, we're going to use them. Amen? Hallelujah. And the fear of God, verse 29, and the fear of God was all on all the kingdom of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. They heard the whole story. That the three armies wiped themselves out before a single soldier of Judah got there. They recognized that the Lord had done it. And so what happened? Through this battle, which looked impossible for Judah, the name of the Lord was lifted up. They knew that once again, just as he did with Egypt, and also the possession of the land, that God had fought for Israel. Just like in the uh, battle of Jericho, right? The walls of Jericho fell down flat. There's so many examples of that. And when you pray and praise to the Lord. Thank Him for the deliverance for impossible situations in your life. God is going to get the glory. And that's where the glory re uh, needs to reside. Amen. In verse 30. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all along. They returned to Jerusalem, pray, rejoicing, praising God, playing their musical instruments, and then... The Lord was glorified and Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel had peace because they had passed the test. See, this was a test for Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah. And when you undergo impossible situations, that's what's happening with you too. God is testing you, that you to find out if you really have faith in him that he's going to come through with you. Now we're going to go into the closing uh, song. Uh, if you would, cue that up. 